Thank you so very much for joining us today at Berkeley Evangelistic Association in the state of Florida, in Central Florida. Thank you so much for listening and, and tuning us in, and we just welcome you and, and hope that you're enjoying the series we're doing, and we're going to continue with that series on spiritual sickness, and today we're going to be in lesson number 11, and lesson number 11 is going to be called, or is called, for correction and teaching for correction and teaching and then we have to ask the question does God use sickness for this okay does God use sickness for this now if we look at Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth now many many people around the world take this scripture and have it uh, misinterpreted thinking that God is sitting there with lightning bolts or maybe a big whip waiting for you to mess up so he can correct you. This is not true. This is not the way this works. Here is a very popular modern belief taught by many Bible college or seminary graduates. Some in the modern church teach that our God, the creator of heaven and earth, sent us sickness as punishment or correction or as a teaching tool. Many come and may ask how God corrects his children, as mentioned in Hebrews 12, 6 that we just read. Now it says, if not with sickness, like many pastors say, this probably means, what do you need to do? Is to read and study your Bible and get your meaning and then just ignore everything that you've heard other pastors and so forth that, that have said uh, that it does not match with what you see that the Bible actually says. So look at the Bible comparing what you read and you see in your Bible to what people are telling you. Don't just put all your confidence and faith in what people are telling you. Look it up. Read your Bible and study it daily. People can try to make the Bible say whatever they like, but does that change what it actually says? You have eyes and a brain and the Spirit of God in you. If you are saved, ask God to show you what the Word says, and then believe what He says. Here is the verse in Hebrews. It does not mention sickness not once and still people have tried to claim this is how God affects his children with correction just read the Bible and believe what it says and do not add to it what it does not say that is one of the main rules of correct Bible interpretation God tells us that no scripture or prophecy is of any private interpretation now that's found in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 20 God is basically saying, I will tell you what it says, what it means. Therefore, don't invent your own meaning because it will be wrong. So why, did, why is the belief that God afflicts Christians with sickness for correction a bad belief to believe in? First, it will keep you from seeking divine healing that clearly comes from God. If you diligently need the voice of the Lord, your God, and do uh, what is right in his sight, 
give ear to his commandments and keep all his statues, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I want to explain this because this verse is so misinterpreted today. Let me just briefly explain this. Understand this. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we go back to the Garden of Eden. I told you a long time ago that any time you talk about sin and it involves God, you have to go back to the Garden of Eden. That's where it began. Satan brought sin to the world, not Adam. Adam just fell for the trick, him and Eve, and that's what caused man to be cursed with sin. Now, sin and evilness and disease and all the things of, of decay are in the earth because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. So therefore, in Egypt, all the things were in play in Egypt. Flies, frogs, all the things that was involved in all those plagues were already in the earth. Okay? God put a hedge of protection around the Israelites and protected them, and he allowed the plagues to go upon the Egyptians. He didn't purposely do it. They were already there. He didn't have to create them. And the Egyptians, not trusting in God, not doing what he was told, God just let the plagues go and did it. He didn't try to protect them. Now, we have to look and say, who forgives all of our iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? That's in Psalms 103.3. Uh, the other one about the Egyptians, and, and, for the, and he says, For I am the Lord who heals you. That was in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. Second, it violates the laws of singleness or of purpose given to us by Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, about the undivided kingdom. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Matthew 12, 25. Third, it would violate God's word that says God does not ever change. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Fourth, it would violate the character of God revealed in the, as, uh, in the Son of God, Jesus, in the Gospels. You cannot ever find Jesus making someone sick for any reason. Jesus was unified in the sole purpose of healing only, and thus his kingdom will stand forever and not be divided. I just gave you four great reasons why God will not correct you using sickness. I hope and I pray that you got that and understand it. Now, let's look at God's sovereign control of the universe. There is another very popular belief being taught that because God is sovereign, that he controls whatever happens to us, good, bad, or neutral. This is just another example of extremism. People taking one truth and trying to apply it as the only truth that is necessary for what we believe. This is a huge mistake in wrong Bible interpretation. Now, I think I have shown you in this series that we've done and where we've done and gone so far, that this is not what the Bible says, and that sickness came as a result of man's disobedience. His sinful choice and choices and his independent actions 
that were implemented by his own free will. Extremism on any subject is an unbalanced approach at understanding God and his, and his Bible or the Bible. Uh, it promotes an isolationism theology that ignores every other revealed truth on exposing subjects. Certainly, I believe that God is sovereign, and I do not dis disqualify his ability as the omnipotent uh, being to control everything if he so desired. However, for me to believe that he does this uh, violates the definition of a God described to be love, an agape love, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, and there, then there is the uh, verse says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life in John 3.16. Now this verse in John describes a major conflict with God sovereignly placing sickness on people. Why would the sovereign God come to save me and then tell me that I would uh, could be saved if I only believe? Did you see what I just asked you? Does that make any sense to you? Whose choice is it to believe, mine or God's? Obviously, it is my sovereign choice to believe that causes me to begin to be saved. You didn't know you were a sovereign being, did you? A sovereign being is anyone that has the ability to make an independent decision without external control or influence. Did you decide to get out of bed this morning? If you did, then you made a sovereign choice. Of course, if you decided to stay in bed this morning, you would have still made a sovereign choice in what you did. Nothing you do today can be placed upon anyone but you. You have been given responsibility and you have been given control of your destiny. Actually, and technically speaking, you are not a completely independent agent as a human. After Satan entered the world and Adam lost his sovereignty over the earth, Satan became, became the god of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. Before Satan entered into the world, Adam was a completely independent sovereign being. We learn from Jesus' law of singleness and purpose again that Satan has a kingdom. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Matthew 12, 26. Therefore, we are either in the kingdom of light, which is Jesus, or the kingdom of darkness, which is Satan, as stated in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. And we will all choose which eternal kingdom to reside in by whether we believe and are saved or do not believe and are condemned or damned. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Friends, if you don't believe and you're baptized, you're condemned already. You're condemned already because without God, you're condemned. That's just the way it teaches. Having the ability to choose what we believe in is a direct design feature of every man and every woman. The pure ability of man to believe and choose what makes God's sovereign control inconceivable. Let's expand and continue to explore the notion that our loving Heavenly Father is still the author of all of the sickness today because of his sovereign control of the planet. This extreme sovereign control theology has great potential for harm because it relieves man of any human responsibility 
and any future accountability. If God is in complete sovereign control, then I have nothing to do today to be saved or lost. Is that what the Bible says? Is that what it teaches? What about future accountability? Accountability is simply the responsibility to do something that you should have done. Is there coming a judgment upon every man? If God is in sovereign control of what happens to every man, what then is there to judge? Do you see any problem with this? You cannot ever judge what you cause to happen or you will be forced to judge yourself. Judgment is simply the responsibility of only the judge to pass sentence for an independent violation for someone that is held accountable for doing something or not doing something. So if I stole something from you, then I could be found guilty of violating the laws against theft. If you cause me to steal something from you, then you are now guilty for what I did and I'm not responsible for my actions. Therefore, I can only be judged fairly by a judge that was not involved in what I did. And I must be held accountable and made responsible for not doing it right. Who is this supreme, independent, fair judge? And who will he judge? Acts 10:42, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. According to the Bible, God is the judge of, of the living and the dead. The living and the dead are two separate opposite categories of people. You cannot be the living dead, nor can you be the dead living. You are either dead today or you are alive inside. Of course, these are figurative language definitions for the status of salvation. Those that are alive are those spirits that are in the kingdom of light and have believed. Those that are dead spirits are those that have not believed and are in the kingdom of darkness. Both are eternal spirits, but classified in two individual subsets. This is really not rocket science, but it proves God is not in sovereign control of what you or I do or what we decide to believe in. God is the supreme judge, and the only ability for any fair judgment to occur in the future is for the judge to be the independent of the crime being judged. If God caused you to believe what you believe or not to believe, then he should be judged by all of us for making us this way. Clearly, this is a major problem with that line of thought. Extreme sovereign God philosophy teachers clearly do not understand the concept of the definition of what love is and what that and that God is defined to be only love in 1 John 4:16 as stated earlier and we have known and believed the love that God has for us God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him does God love his spiritual children differently than I love my natural children if you think so then you do not know God if I love my natural ch child here on the earth I would not want him to be sick no matter what they did, and if I chose to make them sick on purpose after they have disobeyed me, then I would now be guilty of being a child abuser in need of a prison. Sovereign control is a modern philosophy taught in some churches that tries to convince people that no matter what we do as humans, 
that we cannot change what God has given to us to endure or suffer through. People who believe this clearly have not read the Bible. This type of belief disqualifies prayer and the power of God to heal. I could probably say a lot more about this subject, but I'm just hitting some high points on every subject and not trying to do an in-depth teaching on every issue. Did divine healing cease with the death of the apostles? Still, many others in the church teach that God did heal people in the Gospels and through the early church, but all of that ceased when the last apostle died. This teaching is very popular because it relieves them of accountability and responsibility. It is another twisted example of the extreme God-controlled theology. This erroneous teaching denies that the apostles were in the same church as we are today. This teaching contradicts the verse that says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, everyone in the church is clearly defined to be the complete one body of Christ. In other words, there are not two bodies, three bodies, or more bodies of Christ. There is just one unified body that exists. Since Peter, James, and John were in the same body of Christ as us, then what they could do, we can also potentially do, because we are still the same body. Christ does not ever change, according to Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, if Christ healed anyone in Acts, Christ still heals today. Don't make yourself independent from Christ, or you are not none of his. What else is wrong with this teaching of treating apostles differently than disciples? Are you a disciple? Jesus said in John 13, 35, that they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Who was Jesus talking to? I believe that he was talking to me and also to you. Therefore, everyone is a disciple, even if you are not an apostle, a prophet, or an evangelist, pastor, or a teacher. To attribute that only the apostles healed anyone is a clear misunderstanding of God in the scripture. For example, in Luke 10, 1 through 18, Jesus sends out 70 disciples and not 12 apostles. How many more is 70 than 12? Even if the 70 included the 12, that leaves 58 that were not apostles of the Lamb. Why is this important? This is only important to see because Jesus told them all to heal the sick in verse 9. Clearly, we can see in verse 18 that all of the 70 returned to tell Jesus that even the demons were subject to them. Oh, that means they healed the sick? that were oppressed with devils, Acts 10.38. It is very obvious to me that healing was a disciple gift and instruction and not just an apostle gift and instruction. Don't put God into your box to define what he can do or not do with his disciples in his church. He is the head of the church and you are not. Let's talk about another spiritual conflict with why healing did not stop with the apostles. Is God a respecter of persons? 
And does he show any favoritism to anyone? Can you find anyone getting healed in the Old Testament? I can find several. Can you find anyone getting healed in the Gospels? Again, I can find many. Why then do you think that healing has ceased for today? This alone violates Hebrews 13.8 that says God never changes. Believing that only certain apostles can heal denies God to be the healer. This belief conflicts with verses like Acts 10.34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Then there's 1 Peter 1.17. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. That proclaims God is no respecter of persons. If God only gave the healing power to the early disciples, then that would be a denial of the power to me as a disciple of Christ. This would first mean that God has changed. Then it would mean that what he did for Peter, James, and John, he did not do for me. And I believe that is a major problem to your theology based upon God being no respecter of persons. That type of belief would uh, mean that they were special. But I am not simply because I was born in another generation to come. That is clearly a false belief and the violation of the Word of God. We cannot allow scriptural conflicts to stand. We must use the Bible to understand the Bible. If healing ceased when the uh, Word of God was ceased, the Bible says in the Old Testament that he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. That's Psalms 107.20. We know from New Testament revelation that Jesus is the word of God incarnate. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things are made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by those, uh, whose stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2.24 So Jesus is a healer and not any apostle. Therefore, if Jesus is alive today, 
and he is healing has not ceased nowhere in the Bible can you find an apostle claiming to be the healer therefore do not allow men to teach you otherwise now should we seek God or should we seek doctors to get healed there are also a few misguided teachers who claim the healing power of God ceased with the death of the apostles we were just talking about that and these have justified in their minds that this is the reason why we have modern medicine doctors and hospitals in existence today this teaching is just another example of a variation of the extremism philosophy of the divine sovereign control theology in other words they believe that what God had done previously through his spirit and his word has not shifted to a physical peel or the hand of a surgeon type of man called a doctor. They have in effect exalted a man into the previous position of God and that sounds like an antichrist type of teaching to me. This is one of the most outrageous and backward types of reasoning that I have ever heard conceived up. I would find it humorous if it were not so dangerous. These teachers claim in error that God has changed his healing methods and approach. So they would uh, have us believe that only a natural doctor is now God's healing agents for all humanity. Therefore, this teaching immediately violates Hebrews 13:8, where Jesus said he is the same yesterday, day, and forever. Malachi 3:6, where I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, that teach us that God never changes. Why is this false teaching so dangerous? This teaching shifts the focus off of God and onto a man that we can see and that makes it a treacherous error. If your eyes are on a man, then you are missing the God who is the healer. This teaching denies the need for a Christian to even pray to God and ask for the healing or guidance. In fact, it denies the human responsibility of being led by the Spirit of God to know what to do in the case of sickness. Being led by the Spirit of God is a requirement according to Romans 8:14. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Therefore, to be led by a doctor to get healed, you are not being led by the perfect God, but by an imperfect human doctor. According to them, we should all just go to the doctor and they will handle it all now for God and what will occur will occur as the will of God wills. Clearly this is a very bad teaching that causes many people to die today since no doctor is God and knows everything. Let's take a look at what the Bible actually says about doctors. Second Chronicles 16:12. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord but he did seek the physicians I do not think that it is entirely bad to seek a doctor's advice I do not mean to say that but what I do find troubling is not first seeking God's advice clearly God speaks about the king in negative terms for his ignorance of only seeking for doctors to help him. Doctors being fellow humans are technically incapable of healing anyone. Most of the time doctors treat the symptoms but rarely do they fully implement cures of complete wholeness. If you read the very next verse 13 
you will see what occurred by only seeking doctors. The Bible says that Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. Clearly, this is a major conflict with, with uh, the seek doctor only modern teaching and it ignores God. There is only there is a, another greater example of seeking physicians found in Mark 5:26. In this story of the woman with the issue of blood, she had sought a cure for her problem for 12 years with doctors and finally turned and sought only to touch Jesus after hearing about him. It says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Clearly the doctors could not help her and only seeking God brought the answer. I learned several things from this example. First, seeking the doctor's help uh, need not keep her from being cured and made whole by God. But I also learned that her answer came by her only seeking Jesus. Therefore, I have concluded, if you need a doctor's help, seek one. But if you're seeking to uh, do not neglect the real healer and seek him more diligently than before. Many times God has used doctors to heal and bring the right situation to bear. But we must first seek God in prayer and through the prayers of others for our healing. I come to realize that common sense plays in this greatly. God is still on the throne and he loves each of his children and does not want us to suffer. Is it the will of God to heal today? Here's another major problem taught in many churches today by words and actions. Certain preachers do not know if it is the will of God for healing to occur. So they do not understand how to pray and ask God for healing or they fail to do it completely. Many times these preachers will constantly pray and ask for healing. If it be thy will, there is a major lesson taught to all lawyers and attorneys. You never ask a question to anyone on the witness stand that you already do not know the answer they will give to you. This simple principle works for healing and all Christian prayer. If you do not already know that God's answer is yes for what you are asking, then you are asking in error and praying in the dark. That is a major revelation to understanding why many are not healed today. Do you remember the story of the leprous man that comes to Jesus for healing in Matthew 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 2? And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Here is a man that desperately needs help and divine healing, but he does not know if it is Jesus' will to help him. Anytime there is a question mark present, there is a hindrance to receiving healing from God. The man clearly knows that Jesus has the ability and the power to heal him, but does not know if it is the will of God to heal him personally. He must have learned about the power of the observation of what happened to others touched by Jesus. But what happens to the others is no guarantee for what might happen to you. You can never base your faith upon what others possess or fail to possess. 
You must answer all of the questions in your own mind, and then you will have the ability to receive for your situation. In Matthew 8, 3, and Jesus put his, uh, forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately this leprosy was gone. His leprosy was gone. Here was Jesus' response to the leprous man. Jesus told him, I will. And that is a universal statement of truth for you also. This statement reveals God's will for all healing. It is God's will for you to be saved, healed, and delivered from everything that the enemy had you trapped under. We know since we have read repeatedly in the Bible that Jesus is never changing as revealed in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus will still say, I will today. Therefore, God's will was to heal in Matthew 8, 3, and God's will is still to heal in today's modern time. Knowing this information now, you do not have to pray to ask God if it be your will, and you can ask just ask and receive knowing it was his will to begin with thank you very much for being here today and we thank you for joining us in our broadcast we appreciate each and every one of you and your prayers and your support for our ministry and we pray blessing upon your family and yourself uh, that uh, god will richly bless you in all your endeavors and uh, with this we'll have a closing prayer remember jesus loves you and he died on the cross for you that you might be saved. You just believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. You shall be saved and have an eternal home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this lesson. All those that came out, Lord, and listened today, we pray that uh, your word would go out and not come back void. Father, that whoever might be there today that didn't know Jesus, that they would give their heart and their life to him, accepting him, asking for repentance. Lord, and as you said, you would save them and that they would have eternal life. Father, now go with us now until the next time, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.